Welcome, I'm Larry Olson, and what's on your mind? Once set, it delivers your life. To change the outcomes we want, we must change the plays we're running. Join us at Mindset Playbook with real people, real talk, for real insight. Well, I'd like to welcome everybody to uh, Mindset Playbook, and I'm um, very excited about, about what we've got going on today. And But just a bit about Mark Bivens' background. He brings 31 years of experience in the luxury car market, winner of several national awards for excellence in his industry, and he's also an ASE Master Certified Tech himself. But once you get to know Mark, you realize where this comes from. He gives all of the credit to his greatest asset, his people. And the reason I mentioned the ASE Master Certified Tech is is he started um, basically the, an entry level and ended up becoming director of uh, fixed operations. So it's very commendable. Um, also, he's uh, currently, as I just mentioned, the fixed operations director of Lexus of Las Vegas, where his leadership skills and ability to build and develop people is extraordinary. He's taking them from entry level positions to valued leadership positions. And he takes great pride in developing what he calls jobs into careers. Mark's all about getting to the next level, consistently developing new and innovative strategies for growth, production, and success, regardless of the market. And that's just what he does full time. In his spare time, Mark's very active in his church as a board member, uh, the Henderson Animal Rescue Shelter, where they have successfully fostered kittens and found forever homes for over 100 of them. He's been an advocate for years in breast cancer awareness and MBC, which is metastatic breast cancer, an avid cyclist for recreation and sport, as well as a father of three absolutely amazing children, and has been married for 25 years to the love of his life. Mark, with your illustrious and full life, many could have the impression that for the most part, success comes easy for you, because you were probably born that way. If you don't mind, please share with us some of the challenges and setbacks you've had along the way. And what do you believe were your most important contributors to your growth and success? Oh, hey, Larry, thank you very much. Uh, what, what a great introduction. Uh, I appreciate that. And uh, wow, uh, what, what, a, what a big question. And I thought about this for a while. And, uh, you know, um, you go back and forth with different answers to it, but I, I kind of looked at my entire life and uh, some of the challenges and successes that I've had. And I mean, this goes way back to when, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just the second of two boys in my family. My brother's two okay. years older than me. And, you know, he was the, the all-American type. He was good at school, good at girls, good at sports, good, you know, just good at everything. And, uh, yeah. and you know, the picture-perfect Norman Rockwell, all-American kid. <laughs> Went to college on a scholarship. Uh, he's successful now uh, as a computer scientist. But just everything about him was all-American. And, and there was me. I was good <laughs> at things, but nowhere near as good as that. Um, mm. I excelled at different things. I had different passions. But I always kind of lived in this uh, – this shadow of that all-American, you know, template that my parents had, and he had such success that uh, they they figured, you know, that was the route that I was supposed to take. And um, I mean, it goes on throughout my 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 professional career, my adulthood, my marriage. You know, it's not so much unconventional, 
or conventional. It's it's not traditional. It's it's just been very very successful. And this is a real quick story. I I came across mm-hmm. this letter just about a month ago um, that my mother had written to her sister back in 1973. Mm-hmm. Mother and I, my family, we were living on the East Coast, and uh, her aunt, or my aunt, her sister was living on the West Coast, and she went on to describe the daily lives of. Uh, um, so let me let me interrupt you a sec before you read this. So, so what are you? Grade school, junior high? I was probably uh, four years old at this time. Four years. Okay, yeah. little guy. Okay. Yeah. All right. So my mom goes to write this letter about uh, Toshi. I'm sorry, it's been a long time since I've sent a letter. How's everyone doing? Yada yada yada, and then she goes on to say. All of us are doing well. Steve, that's my brother, says he loves his kindergarten. He always comes home with stars and happy face from getting kindergarten. I think he's smart. Teachers always give him compliments for him. Then he goes on, I'm not sure how Mark will be. He insists that he wants to go to school and refuses to go to kindergarten. He said he's going to school as a first grader. He's a little different. All the neighbors, kids, and girls come to our home to see Mark. He's a playboy. It's funny. Sometimes he changes his clothes two or three times a day. He is really different. So I, I read this, and I hadn't seen this. I had no idea of it. I was you know, three or four years old at the time. And I think about that question you asked me. My entire life has been a little bit different. I think I've done things a little bit different than the norm that template, uh, all-American template that my brother had. Where, where, why do you think that you do things a little bit different? I mean, what, what, what has occurred for you to draw that kind of conclusion? I think because um, I, I'm an experimenter. I love to tinker and just try things. And I don't know that I read the manual of life so much as I just, you know, put some gloves on, get my hands dirty and go at it type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that that's carried over into my professional career. You know, I mean, I, I didn't finish college. Um, okay. I started. I wanted to be an engineer because I thought that's what, you know, the the all-American boy was supposed to do. But sure. I, I failed miserably at it. And I found myself uh, in a mechanics apprenticeship at a Rolls-Royce and Bentley dealership, loving it, knowing that I liked to tinker with cars. I got an education for it. I, you know, I, I went to a trade sure. school and got an associate's degree and, and worked my way up through the luxury market. And here, 31 years later, you know, ASC master certified, I, I've had some great experience, worked with great people and great factories and brands. And now I get to run a department, which has been just, you know, absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, this, this, how do you think, um, you like to tinker with things. You like to, you don't really read the manuals and probably unless you get stuck. But um, how did you, how do you think that related to, we don't get a manual on raising children. Hmm. And, you know, how did your, how do you feel your tinkering came to your advantage in raising your kids, your kids? Oh boy. Well, you know, I have three kids and uh, they're all, Three very very different a mix of myself and my wife Mara, which is just a blessing because, you know, she's got the much more grounded uh, mindset than I do, so it's, it's <laughs> good. good for them. But I think yeah. what it's done for my parenting and raising is um, kind of has removed away any fear of trying something. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody has that, and I, I'm glad that my kids still do, but they're not afraid to try something. 
my youngest hunter who's uh, 14 right now he's so much more advanced than i was at that level and you know they ha- they have tools like youtube to, to look up stuff but he's not afraid to just try anything um from you know building a vivarium to wanting to go buy a saw blade so he can turn it into a, a throwing axe you know i mean it's just amazing what he comes sure. up with and wants to try um so sure. i'm really fortunate and i think i just shared this story recently with my my boys uh we were soldering something and i said this is, brings back such a fond memory for me when i was in the garage with my father we were um burning some designs into the old cub scout wallet that you had to make and you took a soldering iron to like you know, uh, score your initials or whatever in it. And, uh, mm-hmm. I just remember him distinctly saying, okay, son, this is how you do it. Don't touch here. Put it down when you're done, put it over here, make sure it's not touching anything. And, you know, uh, better for me to get hurt than you. And, uh, um, you know, I think he was not afraid to show me things, how to do things without mm-hmm. having to look at an, a manual or, or something like that. So. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I thought you were going to say, don't touch here. And the first thing you did was touch there. <laughs> well, I'm sure that happened more often than not. But <laughs> that how, that's how you learn, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. You understand what hot means. <laughs> you know, I, um, I know that you, Mary, in the love of your life, uh, went through quite, a, quite an experience. And um, I, don't, I, I wondered if you'd mind just sharing a little bit about uh, I just remember when I met you, and uh, I think we were doing a seminar at Lexus Las Vegas, and you'd shared some pictures with me, and one was with a full head of hair, and then the picture right next to it mm-hmm. was it totally shaved your head. Absolutely. And that still sticks with me. That still just opened my heart to um, – how much people are willing to do for the people they love. And I know everybody out there listening to this has examples in their own mind of, of very, of of experiences that have taken place in their life. Um, But we're not doing a podcast with them right now. So (laughs) that being said, I, if you, if you remember, I put a whole presentation around it for the whole organization. Absolutely. And showed those pictures. Mm -hmm. And, um, Share with with the with the audience a little bit about what what had transpired in your life with you and, and Mara. Sure. Oh well, thank you. Yes. Uh, so um, my wife Mara, um, at the time she was uh, thirty eight years old, getting ready to turn okay. thirty nine, and uh, she was diagnosed with a, a very aggressive form of uh, breast cancer, triple okay. negative breast cancer, and at the time it was uh, uh, still in uh, one of her breasts and. Uh, the, the milk ducts and it had spread to some of the uh, lymph nodes. So both her and I, you know, we kind of approached things with a, you know, uh, uh, a comedic outlook. So uh, we didn't fully grasp the severity of it. And our, I remember mm-hmm. our, our oncologist was like, that's great that you guys are all laughing about it, but you have to understand how serious this was, this mm-hmm. type of breast cancer. It's a very aggressive form. And uh, so uh, once we were able to really take the reality of it to it, we, we tried to figure out, well, how are we going to get through this? Because the, the prognosis was grim. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we were told 10 to 12 months uh, if chemotherapy wow. works. Uh, yeah. And a big if. That would be the best case scenario, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, it was something else. Um, so, yeah. and it's funny, you know, as I start talking about this now, I mean, we kind of went into that kind of how we go about our lives is like, 
there's lots of manuals out there and we read some, we read lots. Mm-hmm. How are we supposed to deal with this? But at the end of the day, and it's been years now, but uh, um, our most successful way of going about it was just taking it by the, the handle and just living through it. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I don't know that our whole approach you could put into a manual and read it and be applicable to anybody other than, you know, this is how we got through it. But, you know, we had three young children at the time, um, a grim prognosis. Um, the, the, the treatments that she was going through was, was brutal. And, you know, when she lost her hair, you know, the family, uh, my kids and I, you know, we, we decided, well, you know, we're here with you. We're, we're in this. We're not in the chair getting that poison pumped into us, but you know, you're part of our lives. So let, let's, let's partake in whatever way we can. So, you know, buzz cutting and shaving our head was a small gesture and, um, uh, looking back. I didn't realize your children had done the same thing. Uh, my boys did. My daughter, not so much, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, um, you know, and I do it again in a heartbeat. Uh, fortunately I'm blessed with a good head of hair. It'll grow back pretty quickly. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was a long, um, a long journey and it continues to be because, uh, you know, she had, uh, um, successfully went through, chemotherapy, radiation, surgery to remove it, reconstruction. And then a couple of years later, it had come back, metastasized mm-hmm. to the uh, lungs. And that's why, you know, uh, the um, MBC, metastasized breast cancer community, is very, very important to her um, because, okay. you know, it's one thing to do battle one time. It's another thing to do it a second time or a third time or a fourth time. There's there's people out there that battle it all their lives. And, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I tip my hat to them because, it's an exhausting thing to have to live through. Oh yeah. Live like you're dying, you know, um, that phrase. And, um, she has a a whole lot more strength than I do. Cause there were Mm -hmm. times where I was on my knees just praying, like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this or what am I supposed to do? And there were plenty of long night drives by myself, just trying to figure things out. And I I was fortunate enough to come home to a, a, a loving and, uh, fighting wife that was like, Hey, if we're going to do this, we've got to do this together, you know? And, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. But and, I, tell you, and, I, I yeah. think I've shared this with you before, Larry, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. It, it forever changed me, um, my mm-hmm. wife, my family, my kids. Um, what do you think it, what do you think it changed most about you? Um, to not give up and just say, Oh, I think I'm going to do something different. Um, and, and, um, hold on to those values that you're consistently building. I mean, we knew who we were going into this, uh, you know, yeah. we're, we're a faithful family. We, we go to church, we have our beliefs and, you know, um, you know, we cross our T's and dot our I's um, to how we're supposed to be doing it. And this just reinforced it that, Hey, you know, uh, there's this overwhelming, um, um, set of circumstances before you. You could turn and go the other way. You can choose uh, to, to do something completely different, and, and we've met certainly plenty of people that have done that. But for us, um, you know, we, we we went into getting married and starting a family, growing old together. We had a big truck park in front of us and dump a, a, a pile of well, maybe not, but you know what? We're going to pick up a shovel, d- dig ourselves through it, and continue with our original vision, which was to grow old together. And here we are, what, 10, 12 years later, and uh, she's healthy, and we still have those values, and yeah. um, we got to make those plans for the future. Well, you know, Mark, you just you said something that's just paramount 
of <clears throat> not so much just survival, because you certainly have accomplished that, but the ability to thrive. And that is that you, you two had a vision. Tell me a little more about why you think that was so powerful in not only getting through that, but just in your, how you go through life. Sure. So vision, you know, um, to have one and then be told that, you know, that's not how it's going to work out really makes you value that vision um, uh, uh, even more so. You know, so before she had now, see, now that was that was a choice mm-hmm. because many people, when they're told it's not going to happen, believe it. Mm-hmm. They allow whoever is tell, giving them that information to override what it was that they wanted for their lives. Sure. And what you're saying, and I just wanted to point this out because you pass through this pretty quickly. It's just who you are. Um, and, and yet the two of you, even in these phenomenally terrible circumstances, had a whole different perspective on how you looked at it. Hmm. Sure. Correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And talk a little more about that. I mean, you, you weren't. You were certainly heartbroken. You took your long drives. You you had circumstances that could have taken your wife away from you. And that's all the, the science out there was, was and experts were telling you. So you could either accept that or you could fight that. Mm-hmm. And then again, how vision played into that. Sure. So, you know, I think we had a, a very typical vision uh, Married children, see them off to be successful young adults themselves, uh, grow old, you know, with a little house, picket fence, that sort of stuff. And uh, when when cancer comes along, I mean, it it changes it drastically, especially when it's something like, hey, you know, you got 10 to 12 months to live, get your affairs in order. Um, The the financial aspect, fighting cancer is is tremendous. I mean, it's an expensive endeavor, and uh, we were fortunate enough to, you know, to be able to navigate through it i mean it you know for lack of a better term it was almost financially ruining but um you know uh as part of our vision i don't think it was you know having uh, the big bank account and you know sure. financial security um obviously we're responsible and we, w- we want to you know not be a burden on our children's or society or whatever when we get to that point but i think our vision was we just we want to be happy we want to be comfortable we want to be able to you know uh wake up each morning, have a cup of coffee and go, go about our day. So mm-hmm. when cancer comes to, to your life and changes things with your pocketbook, with your, 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 your living situation with your children, um, mm-hmm. you have to really reevaluate what, what your original vision is. And, you know, it, it wasn't about two, three houses around the world, vacations and stuff like that. So I think we were really fortunate that we could hold on to our original vision, which was just, you know, hey, let's be happy, fat, and walk the beach type of thing. <laughs> right. Well, you know, you didn't your, didn't your wife prepare to do some uh, writings or videos for the children? Absolutely. She, um, yeah. you, know, the, she, she, you know, if this is going to happen and if it's going to be over in a year, absolutely. she took action on that as well. Yeah, no, she had a whole lot more foresight and uh, uh, mm. vision planning than I did because I was trying, trying to navigate the immediate, and um, okay. she had the time and the uh, the courage to, to put together, you know, different videos and audio recordings and slideshows for each one of the kids, you know, tailored for them with uh, her thoughts and her dreams uh, for them, and 
you know, it's, it's, I'll tell you, it's it's tough to watch them. You know, today, even so, it's uh, it's it's a tough thing. But I think that shows what a strong and and courageous woman she is, and um, it's it's pretty amazing to watch and see. I'm pretty fortunate yeah. to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. even to the point, Larry, where she um, she, there's a, a hospital here in town uh, that she contacted and signed up for when and if uh, you know the inevitable does happen that uh, um, her body's donated in, in the name of science to this facility. So you know, oh, wow. research can be done uh, on her. You know, physical being yeah. once she's a part of something. Like, her, her mindset was this will help other people, but also this will help you, Mark, being me that, uh, you know, you just dial this number, they come, they pick me up and uh, they do their thing. And, you know, six months, nine months later, uh, I, they send, send me back to you in a box and, you know, the address. So, I mean, it's a little morbid and it's uh, yeah, we, we chuckle at yeah. it, but I mean, right. that's the kind of thought process and, and compassion. Not that you have. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's, that's just, uh, it's um, a wonderful take on our choices that we have with the circumstances that present our, present themselves in our lives. And you guys chose to take this on because what were the options just to give up? And, and she's been gone in a year. Mm -hmm. I mean, because that, that there would have not been the intervention. And this is something else about, the power of our mind when they talk about, and even the medical association is starting to admit this, that over 95% of illness is psychosomatic mm-hmm. that is brought on by how we treat ourselves during times of distress. Mm-hmm. And when we're out of ease long enough, we're put into disease. Mm. And um, you folks we're ones that decided that we're going to get our vision. We're going to keep our vision. And what people sometimes don't understand is what it does to the immune system, what it does to our ability to fight whatever it is within our system. And the other thing is a lot of these cancers that were starting to spread. If the system was into a healing state and the right mind state, it doesn't activate a lot of things that are had been lying dormant. And so you're able to overcome because you didn't induce the stress factor in addition to all of the stresses that were going on. And um, I just think that, you know, visions can not only allow you to have the type of life you want to live regardless of the circumstances is in your example, but also allow you to live a life that um, you feel good about and you feel good about who you are. Absolutely. And you folks started out with pretty strong fundamental beliefs to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you say to those that the people now they're a little bit freaked out about the economy They're I mean, when you take a look at the fact in Arizona, for instance, one in four now have either are either have the coronavirus um, or have tested positive for it. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty, pretty big number. Absolutely. And so that's when it starts to get to the point where, you know, as my neighbor have it. Mm-hmm. And then, as we talked about before, what happens with the economy and, and all of these things going on, 
what is your, how do you deal with this? Because you've got a lot of associates that work for you. Mm -hmm. Um, You certainly can't ignore it. How have you found yourself to be of assistance or value to these people? Well, that's a big question. Um, You know, uh, it's interesting you talked about the coronavirus because it's it's in everybody's face nowadays. It's you know twenty four seven on the news. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we live it, you know, with the masks and and standing in line, all those sort of things. And you know, Mara just actually uh, was describing a study out about it's called toxic stress. Um, mm-hmm. You know exactly what you're talking about there, Larry. I mean, your your mind can shut certain things off in, in your body uh, to help protect your mental state. But at the same time, it, it, it's good doing irreparable physical harm to your body. Um, and, and in this time of coronavirus, I mean, it's exponential. So what I do with my team is, you know, we we, we practice the guidelines. We, we, we say mm-hmm. safety first with our associates, with our team members, uh, with uh, every practice that we do. Um, and you have to be honest with people. Um, mm-hmm. say, Hey, listen, you know, I, mean, uh, I, I can't have you not wearing a mask. I can't have you not wearing gloves or, or, or doing this, standing this close to, to somebody and, and just talk through why it is. Cause you're, you're always going to have those people like, I'm not wearing a mask. I can't breathe uh, this or that. And it's uncomfortable. And, and I get it. My glasses yep. fog up <laughs> every intake yeah. and exhale I, I take. And um, yeah. there's part of me that says, you know, I don't want to do this, but, uh, um, you know, we're a part of a society. We have a vision to get through the day. Just get through the day as productive as we can. And it's not about the dollars you make. It's not about the hours you bill. It's about going home at the end of the day happy, satisfied, and safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. all the steps that we have to share with each other, um, throughout that, we just have to communicate with each other. We, you know, we have daily conversations, daily emails, daily, not so much pat on the backs anymore, but, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, sharing of our vision to stay safe, um, stay strong mentally and physically and, and go home at the end of the day satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you've, you've, uh, You've really shared some really powerful things relative to the fact that none of us like to be told what to do. We're all adults. We were told we can't work anymore. We're told now you need to wear a mask. We're told to shut up. I'm sorry that you can't breathe in it, but I'm not going to die because of you. And, and, and we, we can sometimes lose our sensitivity to the fact that nobody likes to be told what to do to begin with. And I, and I know that your success has a lot to do with collaboration and a lot to do with the building of people rather than the tearing down of them. Where did that come from? Hmm. You know, to be perfectly honest with you, Larry, it, it might come from, you know, self-doubt. Um, hmm. I, I, when I make decisions, uh, I... I try to get as many people involved in that decision as possible. But at the end of the day, I, I have to make a decision on a strategy, uh, um, you know, uh, whatever the situation. Um, yeah. So in years past, you know, I might have relied on oh, A, B, and C said to do C, D, and E. So um, uh, I put that together and th- there's my decision. And um, as I've grown as a leader, I think I've, I've been able to, you know, like still include people, still collaborate. But at the end of the day, I mean, if 
I take the data that I have and, and make the decision that I think is the best. I'm going to own it and, and run with it. Um, you know, you and I have talked before about that, um, you know, the imposter syndrome. Um, yeah. It's something that, you know, I've struggled with and uh, I probably still to this day, but I, I think about what I've accomplished and, um, you know, I, I think I deserve to make those decisions and I'll still collaborate with people, but I'll still take accountability for the decisions that I have to d- make. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, if it's the wrong decision, I'm okay with that. Um, because, uh, you know, if, if you're not messing something up, then you're not trying, right? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> Mark, you just, you just mentioned about the imposter, imposter syndrome. And for those of you out there that are wondering what that's about, it's about the fact that you start to rise in your career or you get accolades and, and you, you really don't feel sometimes that you should be getting those, that it might be coming too easy for you, or maybe you feel like you don't have the background to deserve that when in fact you do, or you wouldn't be getting those accolades. But, um, what did you find that assisted you, Mark, in, in kind of getting through that uh, reality that you're supposed to be where you're supposed to be and you're supposed to be doing well right now and you need to take a little credit for it, even though you're, you know, you give most of the credit to your people? Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, um, honestly, um, it, it kind of goes back to, you know, the, the life seminars that, that – uh, originally introduced me to you, Larry. Um, when, when you came into our organization at Lexus Las Vegas, um, it was amazing to see how we got everybody from every department together over the course of, would that take a year, year and a half to come up with our, our company's vision statement? But just those life seminars that transformed into the leadership seminars and the one-on-ones that we had that that really helped build my, my confidence and, and I guess my management style, because if you remember, I, I was just a, a technician. I shouldn't say just a technician. I was a technician. Right. Uh, I was a team leader um, when we first started uh, doing the life right. seminars. And um, I started transitioning into a more management role of, of running a group of technicians to, to running the shop, becoming the diagnostic specialist, having more management responsibilities. And, and I'll never forget this, Larry. I went to a, a DS council meeting, which is a diagnostic specialist council meeting uh, for the factory. And um, I went in a suit and tie. And I decided at that moment, you know what, I'm going to be the best dressed diagnostic specialist in the West. <laughs> and when um, I would be, thanks, and when I would be at work, I, I would dress professionally. Now, most diagnostic specialists still wear a tech uniform and are in the shop. And, and I was too, but I would put on a smock like a doctor's smock and, and go to work on cars. But um, I remember one of our life seminars and the concept was, okay, you know what you want to be. You know what you want to do. You might not know how to get there, but just start taking the steps to do it. So part of my vision of what I wanted to be is I wanted to be a professional looking uh, um, uh, associate um, you know, our sales managers and our sales staffs wear suit and ties. Uh, our um, service advisors, front-facing um, associates with our customers, wore ties and, and Oxfords. And, you know, I was finding myself with more and more customer-facing engagements. So I decided, yeah. you know what, I'm going to wear a suit and tie as well. 
which was yeah. really unconventional for somebody that spent half of his time in the shop. And- well, not, not only Mark was it unconventional, but I remember that very, very well when you walked into a leadership session with, and by the way, folks, the leadership sessions is where department heads get together and have a particular assignment. Uh, and then they have a month to, to find out what they learned from it. And then they get back together and they all share what their learnings were. So they not only learn from me, but they also learn from one another in their own practical experiences. When Mark walked in all dressed up, you know, the first reaction a lot of people had was, is he in the wrong meeting? <laughs> is, is, what, does he think he's at church? I mean, what's going on? <laughs> and yet this is the reason I want to share this. But the look on Mark's face was not a look of, is this okay? He was not checking the room out to see if he'd done the right thing. He'd already made his mind up of what his vision was. He owned it. And you sat there, you sat there confident. As soon as people looked at you, they were like, I'm not questioning this. <laughs> I mean, this is who this guy is. And that's such a powerful statement about any time, any area of our life. If we want to get in shape, get on the floor and do a push up. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't figure the whole thing out because you'll talk yourself out of it. And if you're just going to do one push up, you're on the floor anyway. Now you might as well do another one. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, you're in shape. Mm -hmm. But people and I, you know, and I've had that happen to me several times in life is I get spend all my time on the how. And I get the gym membership and I (laughs) and I. You know, I've got to get up early now and I I buy all the equipment and everything else. And it doesn't take but a week or two and and it's gone away Mm -hmm. because I spent more time on trying to figure out how than just starting and then letting the how unfold for itself. Absolutely. You know, Larry, your your podcast is appropriately um, uh, named Mindset and Playbook, Mindset Playbook. So uh, you put your mind at task and put your mind in the right frame. Um, and then you just start, you know, navigating through the, the playbook of it. The, those leadership uh, seminars that uh, you and I went through were the building blocks of, uh, you know, my management style. Those tasks yeah. that you put before us on those monthly basis is uh, the homework that was involved in it is what helped develop how I run not only my life, but my department and uh, my associates. So, um, if if your mind's in the right place and you start working on those playbook building blocks, uh, it, it's amazing yeah. what uh, what transpires and happens. Well, that's great. That's great. You've you've and you know another thing that I got to say about Mark. Mark doesn't miss a lick. I mean, every Father's Day, I get a Happy Father's Day, Larry. Every Christmas, I get a Merry Christmas, Larry. Every birthday, I get a Happy Birthday, Larry. And he's always the first one. <laughs> you know, and, and I and I always am so elated because Mark, we we've gone for years and haven't even said a word to one another. Absolutely. And then when we get together, it's like no time has passed at all until we start talking about the age of your children or how long ago it was when your wife found out she'd you know developed a problem in her system and mm-hmm. and and your folks's attitude. I mean, your the vacation you're on. You told me you guys are going. You're going to go to a wedding and then you're also going to go camping and you're also going to go whitewater rafting for crying out loud. <laughs> and, you know, and I mean, you've decided to make this experience, this once in a lifetime experience worth living. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Have a good. You know, um, my, my, my wife, Mara is, is so adventurous. She will jump in with two feet and, um, uh, my kids, uh, have learned that from her too. I mean, there's been so many situations in our life where like, Ooh, should we really be here? <laughs> you know? uh, like, okay. We're going to go whitewater rafting. We've never done it before. Um, she, she selected it, started doing the research online says, uh, what level there's easy, moderate, uh, extreme, uh, the time works. Let's do extreme. We've never done it before in our lives, but you know what? Uh, we're going to find ourselves having a good time. <laughs> That's right. That's some great stories to tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Mark, I, I've, I've really enjoyed the time that we've spent together and uh, you know, you've, you've really taught me that it doesn't matter what circumstances you find in your life. There's a way to live your life with the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And you're, you and Mara and your children are, are a great example of um, making it work. And uh, I don't think any of us have any big enough excuses to give ourselves a way out on not having the time of our lives right now. Absolutely. And that's, that's certainly what it's all about. Absolutely. So I know how. Did you have any, any, any other remarks you wanted to make before we kind of wrap it up today? Um. Yeah, you know, Larry, if um, if if there's one thing anybody can get from from listening to our conversation here today, and, and thank you for you know giving me the opportunity to to talk about your and my right. relationship, because uh, you know, in this era of COVID, and um, in this era of political upheaval, in this era of divisiveness all around the world. There's a lot of things to say, you know, gosh, I, I just don't want to do this anymore. But, uh, you know, we can't give up on ourselves and we can't give up on our families and each other uh, and, and, and society. And, you know, the world is kind of at its own mercy right now. It's, a, it's a one big imposter syndrome right now. Are we supposed to be doing this? Are we supposed to be doing that? You know, mm-hmm. nobody knows mm-hmm. what we're supposed to be doing. But uh, if you hold on to your values – learn about you know learn about being a leader for yourself um and it's just going to transport to 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 your family to your associates to your organization and uh you know learn those things i i learned some amazing and forever valuable life skills by taking your your life seminar and your leadership seminars and the one-on-one and i mimic that with my own team i i I love to sit down with them and ask them and then challenge them to to do certain tasks because it's only going to make them better which is going to make you know uh, our organization better and and our lives better so you know thank you that means the world to me i appreciate that mark thank you and i have great appreciation for you give my love tomorrow i'll do Say hi to your kids for me. Thank you. Say hi to and your little puppy. I hope she gets better as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And to all of you out there, thank you for going through what you're going through and the t- choosing to have a great attitude about it. And if you haven't been, stop being a poop head and, and pick a great attitude because we got to hang out with you. Absolutely. And we, we want to hang out with people that bring out the best in one another. So again, Mark Bivens, uh, pleasure and uh any of you that want to know a little more about what we've been talking about, um, feel free to, to get my book, Get a Vision and Live It. And um, we'll have Mark back on and look forward to uh, talking with all of you again. Have a great life and thanks for listening. Thank you.
Thank you for listening. In our next episode, Larry will take you deeper into the insights offered by his last three interviews. Join him to discover the power of having your own internal compass, what it means to find the discoveries that setbacks have to offer, and that being just a little bit different can pay huge dividends in enjoying this most amazing life.